Forward, a Fiserv podcast, features conversations with the people moving financial services and commerce forward. Here's your host, Jason Hendricks with Fintech Forge. Data, analytics, big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence. The data revolution has been taking nearly every industry by storm. While regulation and data privacy concerns can make financial institutions and merchants wary of wading in too quickly, we are at the lagging edge, not the leading edge, of building our data competencies. Danny Baker, Vice President, Market Strategy in Fiserv's Financial and Risk Management Solutions Group, talks about data as table stakes. Becoming proficient in the use of data is not enough. We have to develop the courage to use what we uncover. Danny, the pandemic has shaken a number of industry norms. This is not a typical recession, and it's highly unlikely we can expect to you know, flip a switch and return to normal as we knew it before. Data and the ability to extrapolate trends and decipher what that new normal is going to look like seems critical. How are the financial institutions you work with approaching the problem? Our perspective is very much looking at things from top of house, C-level, CFO, finance, growth, strategy, those kinds of things. And you you take the COVID world and it has accelerated some of the things that were slowly developing. And that could be everything from the use of analytics. I mean, I would say, you know, so there's been, of course, plenty of noise around analytics for a long time. And almost Still, at least our experience in our primary focused market, which is not the top 50 FIs, but <laughs> below that, uh, it's still, you know, analytics are not on, very far on the maturity scale, you know, still somewhat descriptive, uh, you know, maybe touching on a little bit of predictive and things like that, but sort of boutique, you know, sort of boutique kind of a, you know, in, in spots and not widely used and and those kinds of things. And I think things like that, even though that is not new tech, but it is, it's becoming required tech. It's it's becoming, it needs to be analytics and expedited and assisted decision-making needs to be and will be, I think, accelerated and deployed in, in, you know, much more, you know, wide, uh, wide types of deployments. And, uh, again, it's, that's not new in some segments and some markets and some industries, but in financial services, you know, outside of the large banks and the fintechs that have advanced some of that, in the traditional sort of banking world, uh, in the, you know, sort of mid-markets and down, um, it's not been advanced very quickly. So that's, that's certainly one core element that I believe is going to be accelerated, and it's going to be necessity. It's going to be to survive and thrive. You've got to take advantage of mechanisms to expedite and improve uh, decision-making, making it much more agile, uh, make it much more, uh, you know, just automated, if you want to refer to it that way. So even though it's, it is sort of a fundamental to digit, you know, digitalization or the digitization of finance and decision-making, things like that, it's just not widespread uh, in the you know, again, in the markets that we kind of focus on. So that's that's certainly one area that I think is going to be accelerated because of COVID. So not new, but accelerated and, and maybe more pervasive in, in our segments. Well, do you think much of the world has woken up to that? Because I, I think that you 
really taught you said two things explicitly and one implicitly the expedited and improved within decision making we are not known as an industry that necessarily would say part of our competitive advantage is expedited decision making because that tends to fly in the face of making sure we're managing risk we tend to think of ourselves as careful not slow but careful and you just said you know, it had to be expedited and improved also implies that the old way of doing things is no longer sufficient, that we need to think about new models and a new way of doing it going forward. And the implicit part is underneath all of this is the use of technology. When you think about that expedited, improved, and the use of tech, is the market, because of this crisis, painfully aware of it? Some are, some aren't. Where does that fit? Uh, yeah, I think, I think again, that's where some of the trends that were moving slowly have been exposed by uh, the, you know, COVID impact to, to the economy and behavior. I mean, you know, if you just look at all the stats and, you know, you see it every day in the American bank here and everywhere else about, you know, the, the speed, and we see it as Pfizer because we offer these capabilities, but the speed and the uh, acceleration, to use that term, of online banking and digital payments and the movement to, you know, digital banking of the variety of, you know, mechanisms, that has been, that has, has you know, exploded because it's had to. Well, that's exposed weaknesses in processes required to fulfill, you know, consumers and small businesses' expectation of their experience. You know, so it's kind of interesting, you know, a lot of digital banking, digital experience, and all those kinds of things that have been talked about a lot have been talking about, you know, you know, whether you're looking at it from the standpoint of how you use apps on an iPhone or whatever, you know, and, and the experience of that, that interaction with that device and that that service will carry you so far, but the experience is that if this is where some of the fintechs have beat some of the banks, if I can apply for a loan today, get approved tomorrow, and money the day after that, that takes much more than a user experience on a on a you know the front end of a device. Yeah. That takes that automated decision making. So yeah, so you know codifying your credit risk uh, appetites, you know, and your decision-making processes. Again, I, I'm not, you know, this is certainly probably much more applicable to retail and, and you know, SMB and things like that versus large commercial. Uh, but uh, to play in that world, the experience has got to flow through all the way through fulfillment. And I think that is where there's a, there's still a huge gap. And when you think about fulfillment, you know, and of, of the back end of, 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 you know, fulfilling products and services, uh, from that user interaction, that's a lot of automation, and it, it, there's a lot of decision making embedded throughout that process. And you have to have that for speed. I mean, this came up when the banks were, you know, really getting hit with uh, competing against the fintechs and things like that. Well, all of that has been accelerated. And uh, and I'm not one of those that says the branches dead are going to go away, even though we're seeing, you know, a reasonable number of branch closures and things like that and consolidations continue to happen and things like that. Um, but the experience required and the services provided at the branch, I think there's still a valid market for that. 
but there's no, you know, there's, there's certainly uh, no doubt uh, of the numbers and the flight to digital banking. And I don't think that's going to go backwards when all of this is probably not over, but mostly past. Well, in, so that's a really important point because we hear this again and again in the market that when there is a return to normal, and who knows what the new normal really looks like, but what I hear you saying is a lot of these behaviors, the conveniences, the people who discovered, hey, you know, the branch might not go away, but I don't have to go to the branch in order to deposit a check. I can do that in a different channel that I hadn't thought about. Do you think fundamentally some of these shifts with consumers and businesses are going to stick? Oh yeah, no, I really do. I don't. I don't think there's going to be a it's a temporary shift. I mean, some business will flow back to the to the branches and those kinds of things. So I'm not saying it won't, at least in my view. But what I'm saying is it won't flow back to the level it was. And that's why I like your original phrase in the word of acceleration, because that's why I agree with that, that a lot of these things, whether we're talking about you know, the, 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 you know, the consumer and, and SMB behavior and banking, or whether you're talking about uh, the capabilities that, you know, institutions, FIs need internally, uh, I, I think those things were, were there. They were growing in a snail's pace, certainly when you compare it to other industries of, as far as deployment of things like, you know, analytics and decision-making and moving well into the predictive, prescriptive, and well on, you know, on the path to maturity for analytics. That was happening so slow. So I think all of those things are being uh, accelerated. But also it's not just going faster at doing the same things. When I look at some of the struggles, and, uh, and again, focused in the areas that we focus in around sort of uh, finance and back office automation and efficiency. You know, efficiency has been a big driver for the things we focus on. Uh, but what has happened is that the shift was beginning to move to, you know, asking some fundamental questions. You know, why am I spending a lot of money to be more efficient? Okay, well, save me some money, you know, save me time, save me money, that's all good. But you really look at the core of that and say, well, why be more efficient? And it's because it's, well, it's, I need to apply people to uh, bigger problems, bigger decision-making. I need, you know, I need uh, to, to focus on more important things and, and I need those capabilities for better decision-making. And that's what we, we were beginning to see uh, some shift, not away from efficiency gains. That's going to be a continual focus and everybody's got different ideas about what's, you know, what's a good efficiency ratio or whatever, but where, where should they be? But a shift to not only thinking about efficiency as a as an end game, but as a means to an end, and the end is to better decision making. But it was slow going, and that's also I think what's being accelerated. But to do that, it's not going to be just technology. It's not just going to be analytics. You know, there's there's rethinking of the business process of banking. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's, it's a rethinking about the process of how people are going to bank, what they desire, and how you're going to empower those front-end experiences, you know, that we talk a lot about, those, those front-end, you know, the, the user experience on the digital channel. Uh, it's going to have to be there to empower those things, and it's going to take a different kind of thinking. And, and sort of one other area, let me just add one thing. Because it also, uh, the other area, that's all sort of how uh, that ties into front-end 
you know, product and service delivery. But when you think about this, and you kind of touched on the, the thing that, that I did on the stress testing, it really comes back to also the top of house, so the overall decision-making that, that happens within an institution. It's been very slow, legacy. You know, we, we, we're past, in the general sense, we're certainly past, you know, this idea of some sort of an annualized budget process, in most cases we are, across the industry. But so, so more into a rolling process, but not very agile, not very uh, equipped to quickly adapt. And even though you may not be able to predict, you know, the black swans and the events like we've had, uh, but the ability to understand the key drivers to your strategies. So when you, when those dials need to be turned, you can do that quickly and find alternative strategies and redeploy, you know, resources. That process has been very slow and very weak, and that has been very tested right now and being tested right now. You almost need to be running scenarios and stress testing, you know, on a weekly, if not daily basis in some cases because new news every day about, you know, behavior of, of uh, you know, whether it's the PPPs or whether it's, uh, you know, any of the various scenarios that could play out about uh, uh, credit risk. Uh, and those kind of things. So anyway, so I'm just saying that it's applied both places where it was sort of slow growth, uh, but it's gonna it's gonna be accelerated. And again, I say it it's gonna have to be accelerated those capabilities, or uh, you won't uh, survive, and certainly won't thrive in the markets ahead. You bring up so many important points around this because when we think of digital transformation, we almost always think just about the user interface, not about the plumbing that underlies it. Exactly, exactly. And I think COVID has proven that a bunch of things that we said we can never in the back office, well, we absolutely can. We can be paperless. We can be work from home. We can be cloud. But I want to drill in on this last part that you just brought up the decision-making, the top-of-the-house piece of this, because, you know, technology, you know, I'm loath to say this having survived three core conversions, is easier to change than the people and processes that we begin to embed, and particularly at the top of the house, right? You don't normally get there because you're a risk-taker or, you know, a maverick shoot from the hip, when you look at the impact of the crisis on this decision-making and the rolling process, how do you think the top of the house should be using data and analytics to better inform and accelerate their decision-making? Well, you know, the, the the key, and I say it's the key, and this goes back to, you know, some of the stories, I guess, when I'm out talking to you know, to bankers, when I, and I talk about this, you know, what are the keys to better decision-making? And analytics is an enabler, but it's not the biggest problem. And, you know, if you really look at it, banks struggle, again, talk about not the top 50, right, and those kinds of things, but banks and credit unions, small, small market, medium, small market, you know, they struggle of understanding how to apply analytics. And honestly speaking, one of the biggest things that I've discovered in just talking with lots of people and interviews and things like that is some people don't just don't know what questions to ask of the data. Yeah, I've talked to multiple CFOs. They call me up and say, oh, my CFOs, my, my, my CEO said, you know, we put it in the data warehouse or a data mart, whatever you call it, data, and we need to start using that data to make decisions, but we just got to go collect it all. We'll figure it out later. 
Well, that's been one of the big problems in data warehousing and data analytics in some sense, which is if you're going to wait till you get all the data, which, you know, which is increasing significantly in velocity and volume and everything else, you know, you're never going to get it all together. And the reality is if you pre-thought about what are the questions I should ask of the data, and that requires thinking below the, uh, the I use a legacy term here, but it could, but it's still applicable, thinking not about lagging indicators, but leading indicators. What are the drivers? I kind of referred to it earlier about the dials. You know, what are the drivers? And, and one, one simple example, this is kind of something we focus on about creating good strategic plans is you need to sort of capture, and even in a data type of way, capture your assumptions. Because usually if your assumptions associated with strategy and forecasts and models and stress testing, all of those things incorporate assumptions. Usually if something goes poorly or if something goes well, it's because one of your assumptions was wrong. You know, well, if you don't know which one was wrong, how do you know what to how do you know what to do to change it? And so, it, things as simple in the past as uh, as dashboards. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a I, I speak a lot in general about you know the misuse of business intelligence and dashboards. You know, using some of those legacy kind of things, uh, which are really great about descriptive analytics and telling you that something has happened. But if it doesn't tell you why or so what then it's not very useful. And that's where we are in a lot of those kinds of things. But to, to tell you why and so what, you have to have embedded not only just descriptive analytics about something has happened, but you have to understand and link it back to, you know, this data-driven decision-making idea about what were these assumptions that I made, and those are data points. Those are And those, some of those are pretty simple. I say simple, not simple to do, but like everybody has to make assumptions about where rates are going. Mm -hmm. You can buy those forecasts, of course. You can, you know, people do, and you've got smart people out there trying to figure that out. And you can do stress testing and, you know, you can stress, you know, 100 basis points up and down and so forth and do all those kinds of things. But that's, that is an assumption. But also, uh, you know, what are you going to sell? At what rate? At what term? Uh, you know, what, uh, what's going to happen to change the performance of those, uh, you know, revenue-generating loans, so prepayments, and prepayments tied to economic factors and all. I mean, it's, it's a complex world. That's what it is. But if you don't really track to, I've made my best guess, and the set of assumptions that go with that, then I manage things at that lower level, which, again, is below that descriptive lagging indicator, um, then, then I can understand things quickly, and trends become more meaningful and things like that. So, you know, it's just a bigger, you know, it's just a bigger issue uh, about analytics that that just we're just not thinking about right, at least not in mass and in a lot of the, the this, these kinds of institutions. Oh, I want to go back to dashboards uh, a little bit because one of my observations, and I'm curious if you see this because you probably have a lot more of these conversations than I do. A lot of times we cram more and more data into them because we're not sure what is significant. And exactly. 
And, you know, I started joking about this when dashboards were becoming the rage within uh, software companies and startups in particular was, you know, if you're searching for a needle in a haystack, if you can't find the needle, the correct answer is you need a bigger haystack. But that's kind of what we've done if we aren't asking ourselves the, so what is significant to my business as we create these dashboards? How can the C-suite you really begin to understand the what is significant there. And I think th this transcends not just the banks. I think this touches, you know, large merchants and you know, the processors and fintechs, you know, the how do we figure out this? what is actually the significant and what level does it need to change for it to be significant? That's a hard thing to get our head around, especially in a leading way, not a, boy, I wish I had, you know, retro lagging indicator, like you said. Yeah, well, it's it, you know I don't I don't know when I when I talk about that that topic it's, it's I talk about you need to think strategically, and and that sounds so generic and you know, but it is uh, uh you know we don't tend to do that well, and some of that just has to do with understanding the drivers of business. What's really driving the business? How are you? You know, how are you achieving if you've had good performance and things like that? What what were what was creating that? And how do you do more of that and less of that that's a drag? Well, you gotta think a little deeper than that. It kind of goes back to what I said before. I think I and it's actually when I kind of do a speech around business business intelligence, things like that, you know, I talk about some of the best practices I've run across the people that do it well. And that that's part of it is well. What are the right questions to ask? And you got to step back and really think about that. And when I kind of help, occasionally I've been in occasions to, you know, with, with executive committees and things like that to help walk them through that, I have to ask the question like three times, meaning what is it you need to know? And they, and I get an answer. Okay. And the answer usually is something that's like a, you know, a lagging. It's something that's a, an end, not a means. No, no. Think about it this way. What do you really need to know? Oh, okay, yeah, I need to really understand, you know, this this lower level of activity and behavior. Okay, no, think about it. Even. What do you really, really need to know? Drill down through that. It's just critical thinking. It's thinking strategically about things, and and so you're you're absolutely right though, that a lot of the output dashboards and otherwise, is a lot of wasted time, effort, and information. And one of the things that I have experienced uh, more recently with several uh, customers is they, they've taken – this is a, kind of a, uh, an approach to sort of touch on this a little bit. Um, they begin to do a step back and a full evaluation of their board packets. And the, and the, the basic question they're asking when they look at it is how uh, – some of it's regulatory driven, you know, as far as what has to be in there and things like that. But they, they ask the basic questions, which is, all right, somebody spends a lot of time putting this information together. What decisions are we going to make from this information? And if nobody can answer the questions, they get rid of it. I love and that. And I've talked, to some, I've talked to some bankers that have now reduced the size of their board packet by 60 to 65. I think I, I've kind of averaged it out in my head just talking to various people. 60 to 65% reduction in the volume and content of a board packet because they're producing a lot of stuff and somebody is spending a lot of time producing data, reporting information, dashboard, whatever, 
that no decisions are going to be made from. It's just kind of interesting stuff. That's pretty much the way they said it. And uh, so uh, and there's that is a lot of that. time, happen. though, Danny. Like, I, th- I think you like there's a bigger point we want to make sure people take away. It doesn't just take time. It obfuscates the real data that they need to be paying mm-hmm. attention to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's distracting. And uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you can quote books or not, but I like, you know, I, I've read all of the Freakonomics series. I don't know if you've ever read any of the Freakonomics and Levitt Dudner. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the quotes that I kind of have memorized there about thinking strategically, they, they made a comment that here's the broader point. Whatever you're trying to solve, make sure you're not just attacking the noisy part of the problem that happens to capture your attention. Well, if you're throwing out a lot of that noisy stuff, it's going to capture your attention, but it's not going to drive to decision-making. And uh, but you got to kind of you got to step back. And I'll tell you one one extra story. I know I think we only had thirty minutes, but you know it, it, when I when I talk to organizations, and I don't want to understate this, I guess, but the, one of the biggest obstacles to better decision making and automation and efficiency gains and some of this stuff we're talking about, uh, you know, comes up when I say, you know, better decision making is also. Better means, you know, certainly all the things we talk about, timely, accurate, transparent, secure, distributed, all those things makes it better, actionable, interactive, insightful, et cetera. But one of the key parts in there, that last part is this distributed. It's accountability. It's, it's getting, you know, information out and engaging your broader set of owners within your institution, portfolio owners or branch owners or whatever. Uh, and they own and accountable for their piece. And so when I talk about, okay, so business intelligence or information or insights or decision-making, whatever, getting this information out to them so they're equipped and getting information from them so you're more agile, what's the biggest obstacle? The, uh, 90% of the responses I get when I kind of go down that path is I get a list of names of people. That's the obstacle. Oh, These people. <laughs> and so my point entity. there is you can't – no, I, 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 yeah, it's just individuals, you know. It's and so, uh, so I don't want to underestimate it because you know if, you can almost make it the biggest problem that has to change it when it comes to these kinds of things, and that is culture, and that's that's hard to change. And uh, but that is that is still an obstacle to a lot of the things we're talking about. Is the cultural core uh, needs to be improved. And and more people are seeing that, and I think that's another one of those things that's going to get accelerated is there's going to be an acceleration, and we see it now. And if you look at some of the statistics of hiring in the finance department, as an example, new people being hired into financial institutions and finance departments are starting to look more like, from a, from a background standpoint, they're starting to look much more like uh, data scientists than they are accountants. And there's a reason for that. And so anyway, anyway, I know we're kind of past time. So, Well, one last question. Something that leaps to mind here is courage. Because the courage to start ripping out pages out of a, a, a board package, you know, that is a courageous action. Asking the tough questions is a courageous action. You know, these are both tightly coupled to culture. You only really see a return on your investment in this data and analytics if you also have the courage to make decisions based on it. What would you suggest, particularly, again, at the top of the house within FIs where we can be hesitant to make decisions, how do they develop that courage to begin to act on 
what the data are telling them. Yeah, I think I think it is valid to say that you need to start and apply analytics to a specific space. I think there's still too much of this. It's all or nothing. We're going to go, we're going to all jump into, you know, analytics and it goes wide and, you know, we're going to try to bite off too much and we, we don't trust it or, you know, we don't understand it. Um, and so, you know, starting with a manageable uh, sort of decision flow uh, on a particular part of the business is still the right thing, but I think that also helps people. And the ones that I've seen kind of take that approach where they start start small, I guess you can call it that, start small, but on something important. So, you know, because if it's not important and you start small, then you're not gaining any confidence. So it's really a combination of finding an area where it's applying it to a particular, you know, discrete uh, piece of the business that's important that as that success is gained, then it's being built on. And I think that's worked well because it also that forces a solving of another part of that problem that I mentioned, which is think more discreetly about the data. Because when you think discreetly about the problem, you start realizing, well, I only need these pieces of data. You know, I don't, it, it may be in volume, but it's not in breadth. You know, I need these pieces of data, which are the drivers to this. And so I don't need these giant, you know, I don't need all this, go capture, you know, all this data first before I even start. And so I think that helps the mindset also think a little bit more discreetly about uh, data and decision-making as it relates to decision-making. That is a great way to close this is there's no excuse to not start right away. We don't need data lakes in the cloud with real-time analytics driven by AI to start using data to make better decisions. No, no, absolutely not. Thank you for joining us. Look for future episodes of Forward at Fiserv.com slash forward and soon on major podcasting platforms.